Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 10-19-2022, and we are ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We are so thankful for your grace, which has provided for us the work of Christ on our behalf. Thank you for the provision and your grace and your mercy towards us. So, Father, we pray as we begin our Bible study that you will give us wisdom as we focus our attention on your word, that we will be able to understand the text that is before us. Teach us by your spirit. Also, Father, we pray uh, lifting up Fred this evening for a prayer, a special prayer. Uh, you know the circumstances, Father, and we ask for joint prayer in this matter. So, Father, we know you are the healer. We, we know it is whenever we pray, everything is according to your perfect will. Also, Father, we pray for word is truth. Uh, there are others who perhaps are grieving or in pain, and we are asking for prayer on their behalf as well. Father, you know the hearts of your church. So we thank you for this provision where we can come and lay our cares before you. And we ask as we continue our study that you would challenge us so that we can continue growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name. Amen. 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 All right. So we are as you all know, studying in Romans eleven twenty-two, It's our second swing at it. It says, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. This is what we're going to talk about the second half of that, which we did not get to last week, but here we are, thank God. So let's, let's get in, let's deal with it. Where You all should have notes. Where I am from, there is a phrase that says, driving is a privilege. I did not see it that way. I figured it was a right to have a driver's license in the state as long as you passed all the requirements. Well, many would tell you that their license privileges were revoked by the state as punishment for violating its laws. Our calling is also a privilege, not a right. God is extending himself in kindness toward us, towards us here. Hopefully, we will see this and use the means he has given us to advance his purposes. We belong to God, and his primary objective is to bring many sons into glory. Will you be an ambassador for Christ? So we covered a couple points here. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Uh, we discussed that at length, talking about how not only did God call Israel, it was by his sovereign grace. But often he had to deal with Israel in a stern way. We also uh, dealt with point number two, which is sternness to those who fell. And we covered uh, how God did have to discipline Israel. I mean, can you imagine? He called them, but ultimately had to discipline them. And I always like to balance it out with the fact that God will um, restore Israel. Israel will succeed. This is not a statement of failure that will hang around Israel's neck forever because they will succeed and God will be vindicated in his calling of Israel as a nation. And there's one thing I was thinking about and I wanted to point out. 
that Israel uh, was a nation for, for just over 1,400 years. They had this calling. God created this calling just for them. They are the natural branches. So I would just say that the church has been in existence for over 2,000 years. And we, which is what I've been saying, have this role temporarily. So we've had the role temporarily longer than Israel has had the role. Uh, I think that says something to, to us that uh, God did deal with Israel in a very special way in terms of discipline. And look, it's been 2,000 years. Now, as we know, God can restore Israel and, you know, he could rapture the church anytime and restore Israel. That is his call. But then I thought of another thought. I said, well, even though Israel is on hiatus right now, we as a church have this distinctive role wherein God is calling many sons into glory. There's no way I'm going to tell God it's time for him to wrap it up. God will know when it's time to, when he has called that last son into glory and he says, okay, now it's time to begin to rapture the church and so forth. So it's taken longer than Israel was in existence. That's quite interesting to me. But it tells us the importance of what God is doing right now in the church. So, we said sternness to those who fell. Well, that's what we were dealing with. And point D was, however, even though he is patient, there is a point where he will judge, quote, to do his work, his strange work, and perform his task, his alien task, as found in Isaiah 28, 21. So we know it is uncommon, strange for God to have to discipline his people. And when he did it or does it, it is public. It is not private. God doesn't just come to Israel and discipline them privately. He does so publicly. And the world saw it. So, but we're going to continue <clears throat> because he's doing all this to talk to the church. And for us to see Israel's example and know that this is not something we want to repeat. If he's telling us that there are ways that we can fall into Israel's failure, and if we do, there will be obvious ways of discipline for us as a church as well. So we're going to move right into point number three. We still got a lot of things to cover, and we would like to have some opportunity for Q&A a little later, so... Reserve your thoughts, your questions, and uh, hopefully we'll have sufficient time for that. Point number three, but kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness. So that's interesting. Kindness is used twice in that verse. So let's look at it. Kindness, what is it, the first thought, to the Gentiles, the church, the new creation. That's what he means by kindness. And I kind of tried to illustrate that through the driver's license analogy. That God, he extends this kindness as a privilege to us, not a right. We don't, you know, this is not something we, God owes us in some way. He has called the church and given us this responsibility in kindness. That it is a privilege to be a part of what God is doing in this age. Not only is he calling many sons into glory, but he's giving us the opportunity to call those to salvation and reconciliation. He's given us a ministry. Everybody wants to, to be in a ministry, at least the believers. They want to serve God. And so this is quite... Uh, uh, a pursuit that is sort of natural. We, when we want, when we're saved, we want to figure out: well, how do we fit in? What, what should we be doing? Uh, what's our calling? How, 
how should we behave? Well, he's given us a ministry. Uh, we have that responsibility as well as growing up in grace so that he can have a mature relationship with us. And all of, all of that is in recognition of the spiritual gift that we may have, which will reflect the type of works that we, will, uh, we have been equipped for in, in the body of Christ. So kindness to the Gentiles, the church, the new creation, that's us. It's kindness to you, but provided that, okay, so there's a condition. Our calling is conditioned on faithfulness just as was Israel. And that's, <clears throat> so we've talked about the fact that obviously we're not saved by faithfulness or else our salvation will be dependent on us and whether or not we could make that commitment to God that we're going to be faithful. But that's not what salvation is based on, but our calling is based on our faithfulness, which is where Israel failed. They just were not faithful, consistent before God. And God had to deal with that. And so it's, it's not like Israel stepped out of line one time and God clobbered them. That wasn't, that's not the thought. The fact that Israel became faith, faithless, meaning they consistently stepped out of line, and then God had to deal with them ultimately. So faithfulness is important in the Christian life, right? We talk about faithfulness, uh, and there's another way to say you have, you have to be focused. You have to intentionally serve God. It can't be like, well, if I feel like it, or... If I have enough time, I'll, I'll do it. Uh, no, it has to be a love of your life, a commitment, dedication, right? That, when we talk about love, that's how we, we talk about it. We talk about being devoted, right? So it's not just, uh, so, so I'm saved and what is the plan of God? Oh, it's to bring many sons into glory. That's what I've learned. What happens is we come to love that, and our love drives us, and that is the motivation that, that causes us to be faithful to God. So it, it is more of an understanding than we, you know, the word speaks of. It's just like what happened to Israel. One of the main things that happened to Israel was they didn't believe in the salvation by grace that they were supposed to be preaching. They resisted the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they refused to believe in the spiritual aspect of their calling. In fact, they thought, well, if you keep the law, you will be just before God. And I'm calling that the big lie because that was not true, never was true. However, all of Israel, almost, almost, trusted that the law was their redemption. And Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all of that is direct, even all the way up to 10, direct that God saw Israel's failure and he told us why. And he clearly told us why in Romans three and four and five and, and six. And then, oh, if we start talking about what happened to 10, he really nails it down about why Israel failed. And we, we covered a lot of that already, so this is not new to us. So, but he's talking to the church in light of what happened to Israel because he tells us to consider what happened to Israel. Consider this. So kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, right? So, so our, con our calling is conditioned on faithfulness, just as Israel was. If you saw Israel being disciplined, and I don't know anybody who doesn't know about Israel's discipline. I, I don't, even if you're an unbeliever, you probably know about Israel's discipline. It, it was public. It was out there. Let's continue. Hebrews 11, point number C. 
Hebrews 11 should not be called the faith chapter. It should be called the faithfulness chapter. And I hope you can understand why I say that. If you were to turn to Hebrews 11, which is commonly termed the faith chapter, what is it about? It's about faithfulness. By faith, we understand the universe was formed. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. It's not just talking, it's not talking about salvation. These people that, he's, that he refers to are already saved. They're already saved. So by faith, Noah, when he warned about things to come. Well, when God told Noah that there was going to be a flood, and Noah proved faithful. He built an ark. Sufficient, according to the pattern God gave him, he built that ark. By faith, Abraham, when he was called <clears throat> to go to a place. This is about Abraham's faithfulness. Abraham did. He left. He obeyed. He was faithful to God. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And it goes on. So, but it doesn't talk about faith in terms of salvation. It talks about faith in terms of faithfulness. It talks about Jacob and Moses, and I could go on. Uh, all the Samson and the Rahab and all the things they did that showed their faithfulness. And this is what God is calling us to be, faithful. So it doesn't say what would happen if they were faithless. But we are seeing that in Romans 11 here. What happens if they are faithless? Well, God has the right to discipline us, and he will, certainly. Point D, uh, provided that you continue in his kindness. So continue in his kindness would be faithfulness, right? Continue representing God in the world. So that's our job, right? We are God's boots on the ground. Not that he needs to have boots on the ground. He could do it without us. But again, he's extending kindness to us. He's saying if we continue in that kindness, if we understand our responsibility, accept the call that he has given us, and that we are responsible to God, it's important that, that we see our calling as something that is on our lives, that is a part of our obligation. I like the way Paul says in uh, Romans 1. I think I'm going to read that. Uh, just to see his attitude there. So in Romans 1, he says in verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. Then he says, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Notice his his feeling, how he felt. He says, I'm obligated. Means he owes something. I'm obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. So he's saying, I, I, I'm here. I'm not just here going about my business. I feel like I owe them something. And what he's saying is, I recognize God's call over my life, and I how, how does that look? It looks like this. I, I feel like I owe them something. So, so he says, what does it make him do? What does it make him be? Eager to preach the gospel. Ready to preach the gospel. So as long as we continue in his kindness, how do we do that? We have to understand, allow the Spirit to show or make our calling real in our lives. Continue to look at the scriptures that tell us that we are ministers of reconciliation. We have been given this trust. And allow that to sink in. Meditate on that. Allow God to show you your true calling. 
when it comes to this temporary calling that we have received from from Israel the, or the olive tree as he says so then he goes on to say I, I'd like to finish this verse 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew then to the Gentile and uh, so that <coughs> that is the obligation Paul has he knows and he preaches this to everybody uh, even uh, if it causes him to have uh, danger in his life he still continues to preach so if we continue in his kindness that means we should be faithful to God when it comes to our responsibility that's how we continue uh, and let's move on to point number four because it is uh, oh, these are warnings to us. Otherwise, what will happen if you don't, which Hebrews 11 does not cover, as we said, otherwise you will be cut off. So the, the first thought is, otherwise there will be consequences for us, the church, just as there was for Israel. Now, I covered this before in another point, Leviticus 26 if you're not sure what what happens when we look into that chapter, it is a lot of judgments that are leveled against Israel. It, it's not it's not to say the judgments happen at Leviticus 26, but God says, "Hey Israel, I'm letting you know that if things go left, then or or to the right, this is what I'm going to do to bring you back to the center. Right? There's going to be discipline." In fact, I'll even tell you what some of the disciplines will be for you. So if you'd like to look at, Leviticus 26 is unique in that regard. I mean, other chapters talk about discipline and even talks about what happened when they were disciplined. But Leviticus 26 is the warning to Israel that, hey, don't, don't go left, don't go right, stay in the center. This is God's will for you. So it's a unique chapter. If you haven't read it, or, you know, take some time. I know we covered it before, so I won't go into great detail. But why do I say it here? Because there could be consequences for us, the church, just as there was for Israel. This is a warning. This is not to say you're going to get all this discipline. Paul is laying it out now. He says, yeah, it's possible. You could. Okay. Point B. Obviously, we do not get the same discipline as the nation Israel did. But God will certainly respond to our unfaithfulness. Now, we're not a nation. The church is not Israel. We got a different purpose than Israel. Although, we share this responsibility. So, just to note, the fact that God called us, and we are those many sons, does not say that we are exempted from this, uh, this responsibility and God training us in the world and allowing us to have this calling. We don't get the same discipline as Israel. Uh, so you can't read Leviticus 26 and try to say those things are going to happen to us. They are not. God has other ways of dealing with the church. So we must make sure we understand what those ways are so that we can take this as a warning, a true warning, so that we recognize that there is a responsibility for us. And there, this is not to say, I think we all know that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body. So God's holding us responsible to this call. So what will we do with it? Point C in our notes. He says, otherwise you will be, you also will be cut off. So not a, the also is a, re, a reflection on Israel. They, we also, just like they were cut off, we can be cut off. What does it mean to be cut off? Disciplined. And there are levels of discipline if we look at Leviticus 26. 
So I would imagine there's going to be levels of discipline for the church. Right? So this, it must mean that the church could be removed from their calling in discipline, just as Israel was. So uh, we talk about removal. Let's just discuss it for a minute. There are some differences. The church is not a nation before God. So we don't, we're not to think that. Uh, the church is going to be disciplined in the same way Israel was. We're not a nation. So the visibility of the church in the world is seen through local churches. Uh, so judgment is executed in different ways. And I already gave you all of the different judgments here uh, in Revelation that Christ says could happen to the church. Now, he, when it says he will remove their lampstand, that is to say, they will no longer represent him in the world. They will literally be a false church. I will go through some of the scriptures, Revelation 2, 5. How about, let's read a couple of them. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So that is discipline where he takes the whole church out and um, disciplines that church. In other words, this church is most likely involved with false motivation, probably stemming from the fact that they have developed or deteriorated into a false gospel. So that literally is uh, where God says, the church does not represent me anymore. And then verse 16, we don't have to go through all these. I think we did at one point. I don't know if we need to repeat them. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then uh, we can move on to 23. 23. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So notice the individual judgment. Each of you will get something according to what you have done. Right. So God does bring judgment. We don't have to go all the way to uh, chapter 3 and there are others. But just to note that that, generally speaking, is God will deal with the church. So, let's keep going. Um, point E. God's removal of Israel did not have anything to do with individual salvation. So that's an interesting point. When we think about how he removed Israel and Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So we have to consider what he's saying there. We can, we can have trouble as well. But notice, this has nothing to do with individual salvation. And why do I say that? Romans 11, 1 and 2. If it did, then Paul, being a Jew, would not have um, any opportunity. I'm just going to go there. Romans 11, 1 and 2. I'll read it. I ask then... Did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. So the point is that Paul is saying, I'm saved. I'm in the church. I'm an apostle. I'm, God didn't reject me. I'm an Israelite. So it is not to do with salvation. Individually, Jews could be saved, as we saw in the Apostle Paul, we saw Peter, James, and all of the disciples had Jewish origin, not just Paul. Peter could have said, I'm from this tribe, and James could have said, I'm from that tribe. And so it's very clear that it's not about individual salvation it's about collectively as a nation however god does deal with individuals directly if they are falling in line with the disobedience right of the nation so god's removal it did not have anything to do 
with individual salvation per se. So that is to make that point that when we look at these verses in Romans 11, that we're not talking about salvation. It's not a salvation passage. It's about calling. And that's where people fail. But if you continue to look at, I know we're not at this verse yet, but let's look at this verse. In verse 23, which is coming up, and if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. What does he mean, graft them in? We didn't get to this yet. We're coming to it. But he's saying, for if Israel does change their mind and accept their response, well, first of all, they got to accept Christ. They got to believe in the Messiah before they can be a part of, uh, you know, God's people with boots on the ground to spread the gospel. They, they, they can't be a part of that if they don't accept the Messiah. So that's the first thing. So what happens when, when they change their mind and believe in Christ? Well, God is able to graft them in again, just like the Apostle Paul. God can continue to use them. Now, they won't be uh, called to preach the nation Israel as God's priest nation. They will be in the church as and where there is no Jew and there is no Gentile. And God continues to graft them in to his, to his people on the ground who are going out to preach the gospel. That is the calling that we have in this world. So that's individual salvation is not affected by this discipline unless, as we saw in uh, Revelation, God does deal with individuals. He does. And that's the next point and point F. If churches or individuals are disciplined, salvation is not affected. So Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if so, we know that salvation is not the issue, but we do know that individuals can be disciplined. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 11. We've covered this 29 through 32, hopefully. Uh, this verse or this passage is key. There's no passage that talks about it this way other than Romans 8.1. But uh, I would even say, venture to say that there's no passage in the Bible that speaks about it in these terms. Let's just go over it again. 29, uh, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So these are people who frivolously show up and eat and drink up all the food and wine that are served at the last, you know, the commemorations of the Last Supper. So because of their frivolous attitude, not recognizing what those symbols are representing, uh, there is judgment. So verse 30. That is why among you, uh, many among you are weak. Now, notice the three categories of discipline. Weak, sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. So notice, this is individual. This is not to hold churches. This is individuals whose works are so atrocious, so sacrilegious, that God uh, deals with them in this this uh, strenuous manner, this severe manner is a better way to say that. Weak, sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. I'm not going to categorize what weak or sick means. Well, let leave that to the Lord to say what that is. But I can tell you one thing: one is more intensive than the other. Weak is is probably the lightest form of discipline, but it should get our attention. Sick should really get our attention. Falling asleep, I know what that is. That's physical death. So God can discipline us with physical death. He can take us out of here. Or as John 15 says, same, very, if, the, if the, you don't abide in Christ, 
And remember, the whole point of John 15 is what? Bearing fruit. And obviously, we're not saved by fruit or works, right? But God does have expectations that we would have works. And there's a calling over our lives, as we've been discussing. So weak, sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's physical death. Now, God is saying that happens. Well, you could say, I don't know what that means. Are they lost? Are they saved? What's going on? And he explains the rest beautifully. Let's continue. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, in other words, we could avoid such judgment. We would not come under such judgment. We could avoid it. All we got to do is pay attention. Don't frivolously show up and, you know, do things that are uh, God considers sacred in terms of these symbols, right? These symbols are to represent something very sacred. That's Christ's death on the cross for us. And yet, these people show up and don't care. You know, I've seen, I've been to communion, uh, a lot of communions, and it's almost like a child you know, they see it as, oh, we're going to have some refreshments. You know, this is, and all they want to do is just drink up all the juice and eat up all the crackers. Well, these are adults doing this. They don't care about the Lord's body. You know, and then people come and there's nothing left because they ate up all the bread and, and then drank up all the wine. So, if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we wouldn't come under such judgment. Nevertheless, now it tells us exactly, because judgment is a serious word. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined. So <clears throat> the judgment we have is not condemnation. So if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. But this judgment is not going to put you back under condemnation because that's impossible. So he's saying when we are judged in this way by the Lord, even if it's death, we are being disciplined. God has that right, just like we talked about. Or you too, you also will be cut off. We'll be, we are being disciplined. That's what's happening so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So... God's not going to ever finally condemn us with the world, but he has an obligation to his righteousness that will allow us to receive this type of judgment so that his righteousness is not compromised. So this is, this is ex explaining the deal. There's no verse that I can find that tells it this clearly. We will never be condemned with the world. We were already condemned with the world in Adam. And now that we're in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So then he has some closing comments. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. If anyone is hungry, you should eat something at home so that when they come together, it may, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Well, thank you, uh, Lord, for giving us these directions through the Apostle Paul. They are very helpful in our understanding of what can happen to us as believers. And we know primarily why it's going to be faithlessness on our part. And you, this is an example of people showing up at the communion table in a way that is uh, unruly. But also, we could take this as an application to apply to other areas in our lives where God would consider uh, bringing judgment, or we know that means discipline in our lives. So it is important for us to see these things. We need to know the limits of not only our salvation, but our calling. Can God discipline us? Yes. Can he take us out? Yes. Will there be rewards for service if we do what is right and the, and the answer to that is absolutely yes we will receive what is due us uh, when we get to the judgment seat of christ all right so i think we have it i think um, we're going to pause here to see if there are any thoughts 
before uh, we close, uh, hopefully <clears throat> as we have come to the end of this verse, we got the message. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to, to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. We're going to pause and open the floor to see if there are any thoughts, questions. The floor is open. Yeah, I have a thought. Um, you were reading some of the scriptures from um, Corinthians about the levels of discipline. And um, so I, and I understand that there isn't really an elaboration on what each level is, but we can be pretty sure that you know, somehow falling asleep does mean physical death. Yes. Um, I was kind of wondering how do you, you know, since that is true, um, how do we reconcile that with Philippians where Paul is talking about um, departing? And whether he is to remain or depart, he is really struggling. Um, but he's saying it's far better to depart and to be with Christ. Um, but it is more necessary that he remain um, for their progress and joy in the faith. Mm -hmm. So how is it, if it's, if it's far better to be with Christ, how is physical death a, a discipline? Yeah. So physical death removes the person from um, the world, right? Well, well, people who are usually in that case are prizing and, and valuing their time here in the world. They are living for themselves. Obviously, they're not living as Paul was. And there's another factor to consider when it comes to the Apostle Paul, and that is that God would have Paul undergo extraordinary suffering. It wouldn't just be normal suffering that we all go through, but extraordinary suffering. And he, he, he lays this out in, in the book of Acts when he calls Paul in, in initially. He told him, um, you know, he says, uh, he says, go, this man is my chosen instrument. He says, uh, verse 9, 16, I will show him how much he must suffer my name. This is nine, Acts 9, 16. So Paul, his suffering was more unusual than anybody. And Paul was really, really struggling. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you will see Paul, you know, detail some of the sufferings. And it came about as a result of these super apostles who run around masquerading as servants of righteousness. Paul was just sort of playing off of that. And he says, because they, they were boasting and all these, uh, probably, <laughs> this is Doug, they were probably boasting about how many baptisms they did and all this, right? Paul was like, well, if I'm going to boast, <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boast about the things that make me, that show my weakness, not something that where I think I'm strong. I'm not boasting. I'm boasting in the Lord. So he 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 goes into this, and toward the end of eleven, he he deals with it. Uh, he says, uh, "Here it is. To my shame, I admit that we are too weak for that." This is verse twenty-one. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times, not one, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times... I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers and dangers from bandits and dangers from my fellow Jews 
and danger from Gentiles, and danger in the city, and then danger in the country, and in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled, and have often gone without food or, or sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led to, into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. So look at this. This is where Paul is coming from. And this is what gives rise to chapter 12, where Paul says, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I'm not sure, but I can tell you this, what happened to me. And he talks about, you know, he was caught up and, saw things that he was not permitted to speak. And so Paul had, in, in answer to your question, Paul had extraordinary suffering. So much so that he was like, you know what? It's probably better if I depart to be with Christ. I think that's where he was coming from in Philippians chapter 1. It's probably better for me to leave after this. It would be easier for Paul to leave. In fact, I could even say it with Paul after reading all that. It would be far better for Paul to leave here than to have to undergo all that suffering. But you know what he said? He, he accepted it. He understood that God's grace was sufficient for him for his power was made perfect in his weakness and so forth and so on. You could round it out yourself, but I, I, that's how I... I would see uh, that uh, Philippians 1 passage uh, in the light of what we just saw. I'll pause to wait. Okay, thanks for um, elaborating on, on this, really on behalf of Paul, <laughs> um, for, the, for the thing that he was expressing in the in those areas. Um, but um, I guess I have a question from the other side of the equation now. So for the person um, that Paul is talking about, that there are, you know, some have fallen asleep, so some will physically depart from this world. Um, how is that a, a discipline except Maybe they lose the opportunity to gain rewards for, for um, changing their ways and, and following their calling, basically. Well, it's hard to... Because they don't... Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I let, I'll let you uh, finish the thought. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, because we, we know that we're talking about saved people, right? Yes. And we are talking about... Um, um, you know, we're talking about the calling of, of the church that they have um, and growing in Christ, maturing and all that stuff. Um, there are specific examples in, in Revelation, as you read, um, that we're dealing with whole um, uh, churches. Um, but for the individual, I guess, um, I'm still... So is, is the individual going to know that they have experienced physical death and they are saved because they are being disciplined? I, I, like it's, it's, so is this something that is supposed to be a warning to us to say, hey, you know, that's going to be it. But we know we, we, we are salvation guaranteed. Um, so what is it that we are threatened with? And, and I see it as not so much the physical death and, and that's it, you're, you're going to end your life on earth. Um, it's more than that. It, it's missing out on all of the opportunities that God has graciously given us and, and abundantly given us to interact with people on behalf of him. Um, so I see it as more like a... a the loss of rewards, rather than the the death itself, the separation from this physical world. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I I think 
I do see your your point in, in one way to look at it, but just just think about think about it this way: the people who are leaving here under these circumstances are not growing believers. <laughs> they're not uh, models, you know, where they're going to say, "Well, yeah, I'm missing out on rewards." Well, they probably weren't in line for rewards anyhow. It's like the Hebrews. He says, but for the time you guys were saved, you should be teachers, but you need somebody to teach you all over again, right? These are people, or the Corinthians, where he says, uh, uh, I could not address you as spiritual, but as carnal. You're living your lives carnally. So in, usually in these cases, the believers are not going in the right direction. Right? So yes, they're going to miss out on rewards, but probably they don't care. But now, on the other side of that, we would want to say that we don't, we don't want to make light of the discipline. Not that you are, but I'm saying we don't want to make light of discipline from God. So it could be that a person is weak and sick and then they fall asleep as another phase of discipline. They could have experienced all three. Most likely they have. And it, most likely it won't be uh, like Ananias and Sapphira or... They did something that was a horrible thing, which was trying to gain ascendancy or, you know, notoriety in the church, right? So, I mean, they could have probably led a lot of people astray. God says, no, we're taking out this thread of greed and trying to buy the church. <clears throat> Can't do it. So we're going to remove them directly. And both of them received the sin unto death, uh, one right after the other. And yes, it says that the church looked at that and realized, wow, right? So in this case, it didn't say some might fall asleep. It said some have fallen asleep, just like some were sick, some were. So it's intensified. So we can't think that when we see this discipline that they are not going through any pain or difficulty. As we saw with the Apostle Paul, uh, all of those things were tough. Um, and I'm not saying that he was going through discipline uh, because he wasn't doing the right thing, but this is suffering for what we call uh, for a blessing. Or in other words, God has given him this responsibility, and that's why he's suffering. But in, in the case of people who are going the other direction, I'm sure God is long-suffering with them. I'm sure he's patient, and he doesn't just automatically, with knee-jerk reactions, discipline them impulsively and discipline is is tailored to get the attention of that person so every for instance god may discipline me because he knows what gets my attention different from how he would discipline you because you you know something that he may use in terms of me will not work for you or if you have more than one kid you know that you can't level the same discipline on both kids the same way because they're different. So in, in that case, God knows how to get our attention. Discipline works. God uses it. Uh, he has his reasons for using it. We can't get too far down the road into saying what exactly the discipline is, but for sure, it is given injustice. In other words, he... By the time these people get it, <laughs> they certainly deserve what they're getting. And this is God's last opportunity to discipline them. He's not going to discipline them at the judgment seat of Christ. They just will not receive rewards. But there's no, okay, so since you were doing wrong, I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you the back of my hand now. No, no, it's over. Once they leave this life, that is God's last opportunity to show them that they were going in the wrong direction as believers. And they were not being faithful to their call. So he will do it. How he will do it, I can't. I'm not, I won't venture to say. But I can just say that it is a legitimate warning for us. But I'll pause. Go right ahead, Dwight. Do you have follow-up? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up uh, Ananias and Sapphires. It seems like um, really... The, and and that, that, that's probably a good example of, of where 
I'm coming from. So for Ananias and Sophia, um, it it seems like the the discipline was was more of a warning for those who remained behind and saw what God could do with their disobedience and unfaithfulness. Um, so it almost seems like um, it it seems like for the ones who are left behind that it's like clear to them that God is you know present and active and and he does discipline those he loves. Yeah. Now, when you say, so how, how uh, I guess I have a couple questions around that, is um, I see that act as uh, taking them out, as um, showing the ones who were, who were remaining behind, as him lovingly saying that this could happen to you um, because I'm not fooling around. Um, so, but for Ananias and Sapphira directly, uh, for them, um, their life is over on earth. They are at home in heaven. Um, it, assuming, assuming they were saved. <laughs> um, so it, it seems like I'm, I'm not really sure what the purpose of the discipline of falling asleep is. Since it it seemed to be more of a warning for those who remained behind um, rather than the ones who were taken. And and I guess one other comment, too, is that I just just want to sneak this in there while we're talking about this. Um, Sometimes it just seems arbitrary and random who is is getting sick and who is falling asleep and who is weak, etc. And it's, it's, it's really it's kind of disheartening sometimes to see certain church organizations flourish in in spite of them being um you know totally against god's word and yet you know claim to be defending it yeah i I think then we are trying to judge when we look at other churches what is successful and what is not if we think that they are big, a big church with a lot of members and got a lot of money and this or that, I think the world would say that they're successful. But does God say they're successful? Well, that that wouldn't that wouldn't be the criteria I use. But the criteria I use is that I know that there are certain denominations that don't depend on God's word. They are very filled with um, traditions and rituals that are not even biblical. Um, and you know things like that. Those are the things that I'm that I'm considering when I'm talking about churches not being aligned with God's word, not necessarily size and money, or um, you know how much uh, how much dancing and singing they do, um, <laughs> yeah. but how how true to God's word and are, and are they you know loudly proclaiming that we are representatives of Christ on earth. And I think there are a lot of organizations that are saying that and yet don't even give any respect to God's word. Yeah, it's, first of all, we know God is patient. If you look at Israel uh, as any indication of that, I mean, we have a lot of latitude uh, as far as God is concerned when it comes to judgment. I'm glad he's slow to judgment. You know, you know, I'm glad. I, I don't think that is odd I think that is characteristic of how he did how he managed Israel but ultimately um, we can't really so so we know we know the facts but we can't really dig down and say okay so um, this person's sick and this person because we could get sick for various reasons doesn't mean we're being disciplined by the Lord so it we can't, it's hard for us to characterize what, when we're looking on at someone else. But I guess for ourselves, we are to pay attention. But you know, if we're not following uh, the guidance of the Spirit, we're probably going to be ignorant when it comes to discipline. As you know, we, we might not know exactly what's happening, but as far as the justice of God is concerned, 
he's got to deal with us in this way. And he does. He does. Every son he receives for training purposes is disciplined. Um, we, we are disciplined punitively as well. Uh, but at the, at the long-suffering and patience of God, so there's latitude. And so it's hard to say when it says people are weak and sick. These are the facts. But we can't quantify those facts because we are, you know, we can't judge. Uh, God says, leave all these things to me. Uh, don't judge anything before judgment time. This is in 1 Corinthians 4, when God will bring to light all the things that are hidden in darkness and so forth because they will be revealed. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't discern. We can think, church, you, you don't get away with anything, obviously. God knows your heart. So you, if you think you're, you're getting away or you have wrong motives, then God's going to deal with that. Right? So just like he did to the ministers, if what the, the work will be revealed by fire and the fire will test every man's work to see what sort it is. And if it survives, they will receive a reward. So they could have all of these grandiose objectives of what they're going to do and what they're doing, but if it's not according to the will of God, well, there won't be any rewards for service. There won't be any rewards. So, and they are likely receiving discipline. I mean, look at how proud, here's a good example. Look at how proud Israel was. I mean, when the church got their calling, they had the nerve to say, wait a minute, we're, we're the chosen people. And then they were rejecting Christ. So you're telling me you're rejecting Christ, you crucified the Messiah, but then you still have enough arrogance to say that God can't do what he wants by calling the church because we are the chosen people, all right? So, wow, I mean, I mean, they could have just been a spot. God could have smoked them, but he didn't because in, in Romans 9, he said he had every right to do what he, what he did. And you, who are you to talk back to me, God said in Romans 9. Who are you to talk back to me? God is saying, I recognize your arrogance. He said, but, but we know God is gracious and long-suffering, but there's a limit. He will judge when we have crossed the line to that point so we it's hard for us as i said to drill down but go right ahead Dwayne. no i appreciate the reminder that um, um was something that is probably realized but not um fully is is his long suffering and god's incredible patience <laughs> Um, not only with Israel, but with the church and a lot of stuff that is going on. Um, you know, and, and the other one, the other reminder is that these are not things for us to judge. You know, we, we don't, um, we can't see what's in a person's heart. Just like you said, we, we can't even see if somebody's saved or not because we don't know what's in their heart. That's right. Um, sometimes it'll become obvious because of what they talk about. And, I, and you basically hear them reciting an understanding of God's word, not just repeating it. Um, so, yeah, thanks, thanks for those reminders. Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, listen, I what I think when I think about this is I don't think these warnings are given to us so that we can uh, think that there's a hammer waiting to clobber us, right, if we step out of line. I think what God is showing us is where Israel failed, we are not to engage in the same motivations they had, which is the big lie, as I spoke of. And they had completely the false motivation of uh, separatism in terms of, you know, they would not give the gospel to Gentiles. They hated Gentiles. And so God had to deal with that. He, he couldn't allow that to just stand. Uh, so when it comes to the church, which is longer standing than Israel. God is fulfilling a purpose in us. At the same time, he is extending kindness. So I think for us who are motivated and walk, wanting to walk according to the will of God, 
I don't think it's, it's something that's on my mind that God can discipline me. I think my focus is to uh, fulfill God's plan, right? I'm grateful that he put me in this place. So my attitude is, is not to be worried about discipline, but how can I better serve the Lord? How can I better be more committed or use my time more wisely? Or, you know, these are things that I think about. And I think those are things that are not uh, going to incur discipline. But obviously we all fail and fall. So, uh, but we're talking about a pattern of failure. And even though they were, Israel was God's professed people in the world, we, we have that that psalm where David prophetically says, God, knowing that they were going to kill Christ, he said, uh, Lord, blot them out of your book of life. Don't, don't, don't keep them in there with that terrible thing they did. So for us, I, I don't think you know, we're in any place where uh, we're, we're going to be uh, subject to the types of discipline that we saw Israel subject to because... Well, if we repeat the same failure, yes, but uh, we're doing our best not to. We're aware of it. So uh, I would say God is not going to bring us into some sort of judgment, you know, with this attitude. But God is, I'm not, I'm not God, so I, I, will not, I will not say what God will do to, in terms of discipline. Remember, everybody goes, undergoes training discipline. Uh, punitive discipline is given to correct us as well. It's not given to, you know, just to cause pain. It is given to for correction. So, but I think we, we're going to have to slow it down now. Our time is gone. But let's do this. Closing thoughts, anyone? We will conclude. Thank you, Dwight. Thanks for, we needed that extra understanding uh, that you were able to bring out. So appreciate that. Let's bow our heads and we'll close this session. Thank you, Father. We're glad that you, you've extended kindness and love towards us. We thank you, Father, and recognize that your righteousness is all important. And there will be times when judgment is necessary. So we thank you, Father, for that you are a good God, that your righteousness speaks of your fairness and your integrity towards us. So we thank you for those who are here and those who have spent time uh, with Word is Truth Christian Church. We pray for each family represented here. And we pray that you will bring us back so we can continue in Romans 11. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.